Good morning. It is a joy and an honor to be with you today. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn to the New Testament book of James. James chapter 5. Verses 16, 17, and 18 will be our text this morning. I've entitled today's message, What the Boston Red Sox Taught Me About the New Year. And there will be more to come on that later. Over the past few months, and even more recently the past few weeks, as I've been closing the chapter of one year and getting ready to open the book to a new year, I have been asking God, probably just like you, to speak to my heart. God does that in many ways in my life. He actually uses hymn number 281 inside your hymnal, right in front of you. The hymn is called Speak to My Heart. This is a great song, a wonderful anthem with a beautiful message. It's as if God puts these words in my heart. They leap out of my chest, out of my heart, out of my lips. And God ministers to my soul with this great hymn. Actually, over the past couple of days, as I've been in this building, walking up and down these aisles, prayer walking for you, I've been singing this anthem. Walking in between the rows, I've been singing this song, praying this anthem. Praying for you. Praying for me. Praying for your family. Praying for my family. Praying for our church. You know, I look together today and we have a wonderful group of people here today. Perhaps we have many, though, that are on holiday travel. Maybe they didn't want to brave the cold weather and the drizzle outside, but you are here today. And I want to pray for you as we get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you now in prayer. And God, we know that wherever two or more are gathered, there you are also. We claim your holy and divine presence here with us today. God, we thank you for the life and the ministry of this church. We thank you for this season of life in which you have placed us here. You've entrusted us with your ministry into this community. God, I pray that you would use these next moments from your word, God, to speak to our hearts. We thank you for your love. We thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The little story goes that Joe, Bob, and Dave... They're friends, and they're out hiking in the wilderness together on a given day. They stumble across a wild and raging river in front of them. It's impeding their progress. They cannot go any further until they find a way to get over that raging river. The first friend, Joe, says, I want to continue. I want to continue. God, please give me the strength to cross this mighty river. Just like that, God gives him a strong upper body, great muscles, a strong lower legs. He swims across the river. It only takes him 30 minutes. He only goes down twice. His next friend says, God, I want to continue to go with Joe. Please give me strength. Give me the intelligence to cross this expanse. Just like that, God gives him strong muscles, lower body, and gives him a kayak. There he goes across the river. It only takes him 15 minutes to do so. And he only almost capsized twice. The third friend, seeing both of his buddies on the other side, wanting to continue this journey, this adventure with his brothers, says, God, please give me the strength. Give me the tools. Give me the intelligence to cross this expanse. Just like that, God turned him into a woman. She hiked upstream 200 yards, crossed the bridge, and there they go on the rest of their adventure. 
Men and women, boys and girls, grandmas and grandpas, when we see an obstacle in the road, what is it that we do? When we come to a time in life of great concern, what is it that we ought to do? It is my hope, it has been and it will be my prayer for you as the hearers of the word this morning that you would determine that in the year 2019 that you would live your life like Elijah and that you would be a person of prayer each and every day fully reliant upon God in times of need. Look with me in James chapter 5. Verses 16, 17, and 18. Because God's word is different than any other thing you will ever read. Because God's word is alive. I invite you to stand in respect and in reverence to the reading of his word. I will be reading out of the New American Standard Version. Where it says in the latter part of 16, 16b... The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You may be seated. Perhaps there are some here today that question their ability to truly make a spiritual difference. You know, we read accounts in God's word about great heroes of the faith, Joshua, Elijah, Paul. But we think sometimes they are way out of our league. If you look at verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You know, if you're like me, sometimes when I'm reading through scripture, I can almost elevate the biblical characters to superhuman status. But Elijah was like some of us. In fact, the Bible points out different things about Elijah that makes him common to me. It says sometimes that Elijah is dressed oddly. He has a strange appearance. The Bible says that he was a hairy guy. The Bible says he was a fast runner. He beat King Ahab in a race. And as a fellow runner, I'm like, Elijah, go get your medals, right? Elijah was like me. Elijah was said to have a rugged constitution. He was an outdoors kind of guy. These are many elements that many people aspire to be like. This morning, as we examine the life of the prophet named Elijah, we're going to look at one part of his life. We're going to examine his prayer life to see how God answered his prayers and reflect and consider how God wants to answer our prayers too and how those very prayers can impact his kingdom. Our text in James is referencing, it's remembering, it's reflecting on Elijah's ministry in the accounts of the Old Testament in First and Second Kings when he was a messenger of God. You know, I talk to people about prayer and some say, I just don't know how to do it. I don't know what words exactly to use. They, they just don't seem to come out right. Some people have told me it feels as though I'm just talking to myself. You know, with Elijah being a person with a nature like ours, 
Perhaps at some points in his life, he had issues like that as well. And all of our frailty and all of our weakness. Do you ever get weary in your prayer life? Do you ever find it hard to pray to God? Do you ever doubt? Does it ever creep in? Do you ever get discouraged over the length of time? Or your expected or anticipated answers of your prayers? Throughout this epistle, it's only five chapters long. In this wonderful book of the Bible, James is exhorting us to pray. He teaches us to pray when we need wisdom. When we're suffering. When we're tempted. Before we speak. When we're joyful. But do we live this way? Is this the atmosphere of our life? Is it the climate in which you live in from Monday through Friday? And even on the weekends? Max Lucado tells a story. About a man who knew the importance of the vitality of prayer. The story goes that there was an old man that was dying in the hospital. And a pastor, a clergyman went to visit him one day. And upon entering the man's room, he found an empty chair sitting right next to the hospital bed. So he inquired of the man, have you had visitors today? The gentleman said, no, you're my first. For whatever reason, the pastor continued to probe and ask questions. Well, why is that chair so unusually close to your bedside? The man said, well, a long time ago, somebody very special and very dear to me, somebody that I believed in and trusted, taught me about prayer and how prayer is like talking to a friend. So each and every day I pull up a chair or I have someone do it for me and I place Jesus in that chair and we have a talk a few days passed and the old man who was sick did indeed die but not before earlier in the day his daughter was there visiting with him that morning was no different than some of the most recent ones nothing different was happening he seemed to be resting peacefully and so the daughter left the hospital for a few hours to run some errands Well, as can be the case, when she returned, she must have just beat the hospital professionals back to the room. And she found her father dead, lying in lane, sitting slumped over in that very chair. Not in his bed, but in the chair. When she relayed this unusual scene to the pastor later that day, when he came to visit, to offer comfort, to offer consolation, the pastor gained a deeper value and a deeper understanding of what prayer truly is. For prayer are those times when we desire to be with Jesus. When we desire to be with Jesus. I encourage you, you encourage me to pray and then watch God answer our prayers. Ask Him for the desire to be with Him. Today we're going to look at four elements, four elements, you can find them on the back of your bulletin, four elements of Elijah's prayer life. The first one is, we must pray with a clean heart. If you look at verse 16, again the latter part, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah is given as an example of a righteous man whose prayer is powerful And it's effective. 
Notice it doesn't say anything at all about sinless perfection, right? We know that Jesus, our Savior, was the only one on this earth to live in sinless perfection. It says that he was an effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. He's wanting to describe someone with a right relationship with God. For when we repent of our sins, as if our sin is right here, the one that entangles us the most, if we are walking that direction towards our sin, when we repent, we say no. In the power of Jesus, we turn and we go the opposite direction. When we repent of our sin, we place our faith and our trust in Christ Jesus. He transfers or he gives us his perfect righteousness. Elijah's focus was where it needed to be. A few weeks ago, while riding in the car, from the dentist office back to the school, my son and I, his name is Rhett, he's 11 years old, he's in fifth grade, we began talking about the things that bring delight to God, the things that please God. I don't exactly remember how that started, but we were engaged in a wonderful conversation from the dentist office Back to school. And this is the verse that we talked about in the car. Psalm 37, verse 4 through 6. It reads, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. For if our pleasure... If our joy, if our gladness is found in Christ and in his word, then the very desires of what we think about, the actions that we partake in, will be favorable to our Savior. It will please him. He will be glad. And our hearts, you know what? They will be clean. Our hearts will be clean with a bent towards a growing relationship with Jesus To all the parents in the room, to all the grandparents in the room, I encourage you. I encourage you to look for moments like that dentist office travel from there to the school. To have spiritual conversations with your children. To have spiritual God-moving conversations with your family members. From the baseball practice back to the house. From the school pickup line to HEB and then Walmart and then CVS and then back home. Have those spiritual conversations with your children, with your grandchildren. The book of James also refers to many examples of practical righteousness. In this book of the Bible, we're taught to bridle our tongue, to not discriminate against others, to not be jealous, to not be arrogant. For if and when these types of sin seem to creep into our lives, may we be quick to ask God for forgiveness. May we be quick to go to that person with whom we have wronged and ask for forgiveness. For when our hearts are not clean, may we be found willing. May we be found vulnerable. May we be found humble enough to find one or two fellow Christians that will be willing to walk beside us to help keep us accountable in our walk with Jesus. Eight to ten weeks ago, in one of our monthly staff meetings here at the church, they always happen on Tuesdays at 1030, once a month. They last until 12, sometimes 1215, right? 
Pastor Andy always leads in a devotion to start off our meeting each and every time, period. That's just what happens. We need it. On this particular meeting, he shared with us a proverb and the proverb was entitled how to ruin your life before the age of 40. That's what the proverb was. I'm sitting there at the time and I'm 46 years old. I'm 47 now. Sadly, I had to check that box. I had to check that box. Each one of his proverbs, each one of his points had a biblical backbone to it. Let me share one of them with you. It can be found in Proverbs 12 verse 1. You might know this verse. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof or he who hates correction. This next word is a word that we do not use in the Humphrey household. But it's out of the Bible. It says he who hates reproof is stupid. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I can do this by myself. I, 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 I. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm good. We ought to run towards, not away from accountability in order to keep a clean heart. A person who is obedient to God is willing to confess their mistakes When their heart is not clean. The times when he or she has missed the target. Missed the bullseye badly. Messed up. Been negligent. Or just plain lazy. Be an example of conviction. Be an example of confession. Practice accountability. And be an example of forgiveness. The next and second example of Elijah's prayer life. Is that we need to pray earnestly. If you look in verse 17. It says and he prayed earnestly. That it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth. For three years and six months. You see in Elijah's days. Found in first and second kings. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Were trying to lead as many people as possible. Away from the one true God. And to get them to cause them. To have the want to. To follow the false prophet. The false god of Baal. It was understood in those times that Baal controlled the heavens. The thunder. The lightning. And especially the rain. So Elijah. Wanting to show God's greatness. His majesty. His bigness. Who he was. Prayed and asked God to withhold the rain. To help turn the hearts of the people back To him, in the original language, earnestly means he prayed in prayer. A deliberate, a deliberate repetition of the words for emphasis. Of course, Elijah, he did not accept the regular standards of the day where belief in many false gods was the norm. No, Elijah took his role as God's messenger, as God's prophet Seriously, to help to be an instrument of judgment upon a wayward Israel in the midst of all of their idolatry, which, by the way, was very widespread. The miracles that Elijah performed occurred during the period of 
life when a life or death struggle took place between the followers of God and the followers of Baal. Write down this verse of scripture. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. You might want to read that later today. In these passages, Elijah is needing God's help. You see, God had provided a widow to care for Elijah during the time of drought. God was taking care of his man. While he was staying with the widow and her family, one of the boys in the household got so sick, the Bible said he was without breath. The widow in the house looked at Elijah like, why did you, why are you here? Why, why are you bringing this upon us? Elijah asked for the boy. The widow gave the boy to Elijah and Elijah laid him down and laid over him three times pleading with God to bring healing to that boy God answered Elijah's cry for help when was the last time that you wrestled with God with earnest heaven moving prayer when was the last time maybe your prayer even right now At this point in 2018, you're praying for a a friend, a friend of yours. You're praying for a loved one. Perhaps you're praying for a child, young or old. God, with my heart's eyes, with my heart's eyes, I can see them being baptized right there. I can see myself and my family rejoicing over salvation coming to their heart and their soul. God, please... Please, please show them your love. Help them to see that they need you, that they need forgiveness. I can see with my heart's eyes them being baptized right there. God, please make that happen. Maybe your prayer today, parent, is that you're praying that your son or daughter would turn their life back to God. That they would turn their life back to God. Maybe they haven't slipped away from God, but they have run. And they have run fast towards sin and reckless things. They've robbed relationship from you. They've robbed money from you. They've thrown your great last name into the back alleys of clubs and onto the counters filled with alcohol. God, with a lot of emotion that I don't exactly know what to do with... I'm sure and I trust that it's prompted by love. I have anger. I have confusion. I have real tears coming down to my eyes. God, I pray that my child would turn back to you. I ask God for your help. That you would leave the 99 sheep that are doing just fine. And that you go get my child. Has that been a prayer of yours before? Maybe your prayer is this. Your earnest, heaven-moving prayer is this. God, it has been decades since we put rings on each other's finger. It's been decades. And we're at a point in our marriage now, God, where we need help. For our focus has not been on you. And we know that's where it should be. God, until that happens, we can't provide care for one another. We can't be attentive to one another. Unless you are number one in our life. Between us and our jobs 
anxiously awaiting retirement, right? Debt, being the primary caregiver of our families, God, we don't have much energy or effort or time to give to one another. God, we need help. Praying earnestly. I encourage you to do that with God. He knows your heart. He's more than big enough to handle your emotions. His love for you is great. His compassion for you is wonderful. Next, our third element of Elijah's prayer life is that he would pray specifically. Elijah prayed for drought. Guess what? It came. Elijah prayed for rain and it came. He didn't pray, Lord bless the weather. No, he prayed specifically. He prayed in detail. In this portion of the book, in this chapter, James is reminding us that patience does not involve just sitting back and doing nothing. This is not a time in this part of scripture for passive waiting. This is active waiting. We see in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 37, Elijah is on Mount Carmel. He's in a duel. He's in a duel versus the prophets of Baal. A face-off at the altar to see whose God can bring down fire to consume the offering. You've read that verse. In a time of need, in a time where Elijah needs help, he needs God's power. He says, answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God. And that thou has turned their heart back again. Elijah is asking God to show himself right then, right there. Elijah is praying specifically. So I've got a question for you. But it's a question I do not want you to ask of me. Okay? I know that's not fair, right? But I've got the microphone. How good are you at waiting How good are you at waiting? How specific are your prayers? Maybe you're in a season or you need to be in a season where your specific prayers are this. God, I pray that my child, my grandchild will graduate from high school. And when they do that, I pray that they will either pursue higher education or find the motivation somewhere to find a vocation that they can invest their lives in. God, I pray specifically that you would help, help me through this illness. I don't know what to do. God, I want to pray for my friend, my friend, my best friend who just moved from this town way over there to another town. God, I pray that you would help them find a godly group of friends, that they might grow in their relationship with Jesus, that they would find a new church home. God, I pray for my friend that they don't have to do life by themselves. God, I pray specifically that you would help heal my broken relationships within my family. God, I pray that you would help my family to be a positive Christian witness in our neighborhood, in our school setting, within the leisure points of life. And I'm talking about every leisure point in life. We don't get to pick or choose which ones we act godly in and which ones we don't. 
God, I pray specifically that you would help me give my family some of my very best. My time, my attention, the ability to dream. May we fight hard. May we fight hard not to only give our best at work to our colleagues and to even strangers during the day. And then come home to find an empty room in our house, grab a device, and nary say one sweet or precious word to our family the rest of the night. May we fight hard not to do that. Pray specifically. Elijah did. Not only must we play with a clean heart, pray earnestly, pray specifically. Fourth and finally, we must pray with God's honor in view. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, what was Elijah's motivation in his prayer life? Simply and powerfully, it was that God would be glorified and honored. That God would be glorified and honored. With zeal, he prayed for God's glory in the midst of the people's idolatry. And do we not live in an idolatrous generation ourselves today? What better motivation for our prayers than for God's goodness to shine through our sinful society? In Psalm 115, verse 1, we read, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. God works through the prayers of his people. And he invites us to pray according to his word. For he delights to answer such prayers. Some prayers he answers immediately while others require persistent prayer. That's where that waiting comes in again. You know, one of the elementary but at the same time great great realities of a faith walk with God through Jesus is that he desires to be a part of every facet of our life. Each and every part of our life, God wants to be right there. It's important to him. This was made very apparent to me in the story that I'm about to share with you. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Boston, Massachusetts for a pastoral care conference. Before serving here in the local church setting, I served as a hospital chaplain a pediatric hospital in Dallas, and over here this big one on the hill in Temple. All things pastoral care are near and dear to my heart. And this specific conference was all about teaching the learners how to care for individuals going through times of grief and suffering. This was my third or fourth trip to this historical city, and I loved almost every minute of it. On Wednesday night of this particular week, I decided to treat myself right by going to a Boston Red Sox game. In fact, that was a decision I made about three or four or five months earlier, right? Immediately after securing my conference registration, my airfare, my hotel lodging, boom, online I go. The Red Sox are in town. I'm going to that game. Well, during the week on this specific night, I left my final session about 30 minutes early so I could get down to the park in plenty of time to soak up all the atmosphere. That's what I like to do. 
it was such a beautiful day in New England and the park was only two miles away from my hotel. I'm like, I'm walking this thing. There's no way I'm taking a cab. And I walked down there. The gates weren't even open yet. So I decided to do some souvenir shopping. Well, eventually they opened up the gates. There I went inside of the stadium. I found my seat in deep, deep, deep center field. And I thought, it just doesn't get any better than this. This is beautiful. In the middle of the seventh inning, we sang, take me out to the ball game. In the middle of the eighth, it's what they do in Boston. They sing Neil Diamond's song, Sweet Caroline. And the hairs on the back of my neck were standing straight up. I was so excited. Now, I know that's probably too much information. But I have a lot of fun in those arenas. You know, the hot dogs and the nachos and the Cokes I ate and drank that night were far better than any meal I've ever had at Chiefs Brothers in Temple. That's when my night took a different turn. As I was exiting the park, my goal and my intent was to simply double back, to retrace my steps back to the hotel. Anybody can do that. But what I didn't know was how the event staff personnel funnel the patrons away from the stadium at the end of the game. They do so using these humongous barricades and police on horseback. And I found myself at odds going, well, what do I do now? I guess I'll just go around the block and I'll eventually be back to where I understand my surroundings. I will be fine. Well, the more and more time I spent trying to find my way around Boston, the more aimless and confused I got. And the crowds were not getting larger. All of a sudden, at 11.30 at night, in the middle of Boston, there I was, with no money in my wallet to hail a cab, a bag full of t-shirts and hats, looking every bit the part of a tourist. And I thought, self, you're getting yourself into a little bit of trouble here. But you see, I've lived in every big city in in the state of Texas. Every big city in Texas I've lived in. I've traveled to distant lands. I've been to more big time sporting events than I could ever count. Self, you'll be fine. No problem at all. Everything's going to work out just fine. I don't need anything from anybody. Well, you want to know what I did next? I reached in my pocket, I grabbed my cell phone, and I called my wife. I can be, this is very vulnerable here. I can be a little bit dramatic. And I thought to myself, if I'm about to get mugged or pummeled in the dark streets of Boston, I want somebody to hear my final words. So upon grabbing the phone back here in Bell County, my wife answers. She begins to ask questions like, what did you eat? Is the city that great? Um, how's the ballpark? What's the weather like? All these were great questions. I would have loved to answer these questions and talk about those about four hours prior. But right now, they seem very inconsequential to me. They weren't doing anything for me. And I had that phone up to my ear and my mouth. And I am gritting my teeth. And I am making obscene facial gestures. Side note, if you need somebody to teach you how to grit your teeth and make obscene gestures when you're upset, I'm your guy, right? I'm your guy. I could teach a college-level course on that. The word doctor is nowhere near my name, but I have a PhD in gritting my teeth and making obscene gestures. I was looking for help. I was looking for consolation. I needed someone to hear my cry. 
The lesson I learned that night, after I continued to walk around, and I continued to ask for, I started asking for help finally, I would go up to people that looked like trustworthy, upstanding citizens, right? People that wouldn't lead me down a back alley and take advantage of me. I was actually approaching family groups, like people with strollers. I was walking up to them going, hey, I'm from Texas. Can you help me find my hotel? Everybody offered as much advice as they could. They were all friendly. They were all helpful. Finally, finally, I stumbled onto the street. I cast my gaze up on the horizon and I saw my hotel and I briskly got back to where my lodging was. That's when I learned a lesson. And it's a lesson I want to pass along to you today is that sometimes you just have to ask for help. Sometimes you just have to ask for help. For some, this is easy. Is it easy for you? For some, this can be a steep, steep challenge. It's vital. And I'm not talking about walking or driving directions. I'm not talking about how to fix the sink. I'm not talking about how to install the dishwasher. I'm not talking about how to treat your yard, change your battery. Or that W-4 form at work. How to fill that out. I still don't know. I'm talking about life-altering issues. As you embark upon a brand new year, 2019, don't think for a moment that you can do anything worthy. Live life by your own set of standards. Provide for your family. Succeed in business. Flourish in retirement. Grow closer to Jesus. Lead your children to faith in Christ. Disciple someone. You cannot do it by yourself. Sometimes you just have to ask for help. There's no higher office, no greater authority to take your needs To take your concerns to other than God the Father. He will never lead you down that back street. Or take advantage of your lack of understanding. Or your lack of ability. Pray with a clean heart. Pray earnestly. Pray specifically. And please you must pray with God's honor in view. One example. One plan for effective prayer. That's what the Boston Red Sox taught me about the new year is that sometimes you have to ask for help. Where is it that you need help today? I can't answer that question for you. Where is it that you need help today? And if you're asking yourself the question, is he talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Whether you're sitting on the lower level, if you're sitting in the balcony, if you're sitting in the same spot you sat in each and every Sunday the entire calendar year, or maybe you're sitting in a place of worship for the first or second time this whole year, yes, I'm talking to you. It doesn't matter your education. It does not matter matter your pedigree, your salary, your stature. Your classification in the community. Yes, I am talking to you. Do you need help in your physical health? Do you need help with your relationship with your children? With a parent? With a co-worker? Do you need help in your finances? 
Do you need help at your workplace? Do you need help with your mental health? Do you need help to have the desire and passion to live for Jesus? Do you need help in your service and dedication to your church? It is my hope, and it has been and it will be my prayer, for you as the hearers of the word this morning, that in the year 2019, that you would determine to live like the prophet Elijah, and that you would be willing to pray each and every day, and in times of need, you would be fully reliant upon God. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this wonderful day, this opportunity to be in your house of worship. God, we know that your divine presence is right here with us and we thank you for that. God, we thank you for the whole entire ministry of Elijah, your man, a messenger, a prophet of God. Thank you for giving us the chance to look briefly at a portion of his prayer life. He was a righteous man, worthy of emulation. God, I lift up this group of people, Lord, my church family, and I pray for them. Only you and they know the point of their need, where they need you, where they're at today, how they're finishing out this calendar and they're about to begin a new one. Only you know that. God, I lay that at your feet. And God, I pray that this time of response in just a moment would be pleasing to you, that it would be a powerful time. That it would be led by your Holy Spirit. Father, move in this place. Take us to a time of Bible study today. Take us to a time of fellowship today that would be pleasing and dear to you. Something that you delight in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time of response is for everyone. For you, the believer, maybe today... You need to finish this calendar year and start a new year right here at the altar, right next to the poinsettias. And you can come here today and you can ask God to help you to pray with a clean heart. You can ask God your earnest prayers. You can pray specifically, or maybe you just might want to say, God, this new year, I want to devote my entire family to be putting you, putting giving honor to you in our prayer life. This altar is wide open for you today, believer. For those who might be in the room today that don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, today would be a beautiful day for you to accept that free gift of salvation, God's forgiveness, the promise of an abundant life on earth with the promise of eternal life in heaven one day. We have support here at the church that will be with you right here at the front to help counsel with you, to pray with you, Don't let today slip by without responding to God's message today. As Matt leads us in worship through song in this time of response, please stand and let's join together.